I, I think when you overplan travel, you you miss the serendipity that makes travel amazing. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode focuses on the idea of travel burnout, which can be a very real thing for travelers who try to pack too much into a single trip. Joining me for this discussion is nomadic Matt Kepnes, whose book, 10 Years a Nomad, touches on travel burnout. I quote him on this topic in my own book, The Vagabond's Way, and he and I expound on that topic in greater detail here. Specifically, we talk about the mental energy that goes into travel when you're constantly moving from place to place, and how slowing down or even just sitting still in one place can offer as much or more to the traveler as constant movement can. We talk about how to figure out ways to get out of the tourist grind and seek an experience of a place in the same way that the people who live there experience it. We talk about preempting travel burnout by not over-planning your journey and leaving yourself open to wander, linger, or even just take a nap in a new place. We start with a short tangent about a daily journal Matt has created for long-term travelers. Let's listen in. So Matt, before we get into the main conversation, I want to ask you about this new travel journal that you created. And I have some specific questions about the prompts, but I'm just curious to know why you decided to make a travel journal for travelers. Journaling was one of my, as I look back on it, one of the best things I did when I took my original trip around the world. Hmm. You know, when I was writing my memoir, it came in super handy as a way to sort of remember everything I did, thoughts, feelings, on um, places, food, people. There were people and experiences I had that I had long forgotten about. The order of my trip in my memory was different than what it actually had been. And so I wanted to create a journal for people to have that experience again. Um, because I, so often we record our trips on social media or on blogs. We don't really get to the root of it. We And we censor ourselves in a way because we know people are going to read that, right? Like it's not for private consumption. So we aren't as open and introspective and as truthful as we would be if it was just for ourselves. Yeah, actually, I've talked about this with Lavinia Spaulding, who's actually quoted, I think, in, in the journal you've made uh, about just having that private um, sounding ground for your own travels is really different than what you talk about in social media. One thing that interested me about your journal is that the prompts are, in a sense, certain challenges for you to be more interactive with your day. So there's like one thing I... Uh, learned about the world today. One thing I learned about myself today. One person I met today. Favorite thing I ate today. I mean, we we always write about food and stuff in the journal, but I think there there are times when I was traveling in Thailand, it would were like seven days a week. It would have been pad Thai, right? So I think that in some ways, the prompts that you have in the journal could challenge people to be a little bit more social and a little bit more thoughtful about how they travel. Is that was that part of its design? Yeah, not every day on the road is going to be active, right? You know, some days you just want to sleep. Um, right. And that's fine. But the goal with these prompts was to really get you th to think about what did you do today that was really memorable to yourself? Um, and to get you out there to do things that create memories. You know, so who did you meet today? Well, you have to go meet at least one person. Um, 
Now, I'm going to give a copy of your journal away to my listeners. Uh, and again, listeners, just email me at, at deviateatrolfpots.com. And uh, <clears throat> first come, first serve. Um, if you're actually not able to get one of Matt's journals before they run out, I will. Um, I have some other books, including Pico Iyer's new book and uh, Paul Threw's new book uh, to give away. But Matt, if someone wants to get your journal, how do they do that? They can go to rememberyourtravels.com. Uh, I appreciate that. I think I'll, I'm going to pivot a little bit, Matt, and I want to read to you the chapter that sort of focuses on your uh, memoir, 10 Years a Nomad, in my new book, The Vagabond's Way. And it's funny how of all the things that you wrote about in 10 Years a Nomad, I sort of grabbed onto the idea of travel burnout, because I think it's much like what we put in our journals sometimes privately. Burnout is something that is not acknowledged as much as it could be, simply because I think sometimes we feel like we're somehow betraying our travels if we admit to being burnt out on the joy of travel when travel is such a blessing. So I'm going to read your chapter and then we'll just spin into a conversation about the idea of travel burnout. It's the November 27th entry. It says, it's okay to feel travel burnout sometimes. The epigraph is from your book, 10 Years a Nomad. It says, the truth is that our travel anticipations and our memories have a way of holding only the most striking parts of an experience, the parts that don't cause burnout. And here's the body of the chapter. It says, toward the end of his long Term travel memoir, 10 Years a Nomad, blogger Matt Kepnes pinpointed the moment when, amid his multi-year global journey, he began to feel weary of travel. Burnout can seem like the ultimate in ingratitude, Kepnes wrote. What's there to be tired of? You're seeing famous attractions, meeting people from all over the world, trying new cuisine. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And what, you're over it? So you'll ask yourself, like I ask myself, why am I not enjoying this more? What is wrong with my trip? What's wrong with me? The condition Kepnes described is not a new one. In the year 49 AD, Roman philosopher Seneca skewered travelers whose wanderings began to bore them. They make one journey after another and change spectacle for spectacle, he wrote. We must realize that their difficulty is not the fault of the places, but of themselves. For Kepnes, burnout was tied to his early assumption that travel's epiphanies wouldn't be offset by a host of workaday hassles and banalities. When you're planning a trip, all you see is excitement, he wrote. You forget that travel can settle into a routine just as easily as office life can. Indeed, one reason travel can be fatiguing is that it's a part of life, and life itself has ups and downs. Ultimately, it's good to know when to slow down, to linger in one place, or even to go home and save up your energy for a time when you get the desire to travel again. So Matt, I think the first question I might have, is there a specific instance that made you come to terms with this feeling of travel burnout? Yeah, you know, I would say that on my first trip, uh, it that really hit around the 14-month mark or so. Mm. I was in Australia after having spent eight months living in Bangkok. I remember like halfway through and I was just like, I don't want to be around these like newbie backpackers anymore. Because um, Australia is a place where people tend to start their trips, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you either like start in Europe or you kind of start on the other side of the world. So you meet a lot of people who are like fresh off the plane, you know, like I just got here and like here I am like a grizzled old traveler being like, oh, I don't want to get drunk all every night. Um, and I was just kind of tired. And a friend of mine, when I was in Brisbane, Scott, he goes, just go home. Like the world will still be here when you, you want to come back. Um, and so I went home. And I actually regret going home because hmm. 
well, going home kind of sucked. Uh, and I went back to an office life. But to be fair, in that office life environment, I did create my websites. But you know, the second I got home, I wanted to go back on the road. And I think what I didn't understand until I got home was that you don't have this binary choice on the road where you have to keep going on the road or you have to go home. You can stop and just stay in one place for a while and sort of recharge your battery. I would say travel is like a battery. You know, you deplete it, you have to recharge it, and you can go again. You think like, oh, I'm supposed to see all this stuff and, you know, have all these stories. But to your line about, you know, travel is like life. You know, when you're living on the road, that becomes your reality. And that is your life. And so eventually there are ups and downs and you just kind of, don't want to figure out a new language. You don't want to have to make new friends. You don't want to have to relearn, like, where do I find places that are safe to eat? How do I cross the street? What's the bus system like? Like, right. There's a lot of mental energy that, that goes into traveling day in, day out. Because you you never have a routine. And so I think your mind just kind of burns out from having to refigure out life every day yeah this happened to me on my first vagabonding trip which which wasn't even to another country i was living in a van and traveling around north america and there were some places where i was staying with friends of friends like maybe with their parents some person i knew in california had parents in washington dc and they're like you're a bad traveler you you sat inside and read books and played pool today instead of going into the city. And I think I, I realized that I just craved rest, that I couldn't get out and pound the pavement seven days a week. That even though Washington DC is a great city and has amazing things, I just needed to spend one day without even realizing it. Um, I, I didn't intend to stay home, but I just it was sort of nice to be in a, in a fixed place for a while. And so it wasn't even, I don't even think I identified it as burnout, but it just, it's sort of a matter of of mixing it up, I think, of realizing that you don't need, in, in, I guess if travel becomes your job in a sense, you don't need to do it seven days a week. So how do you, do you have a like an intentional plan for the rhythms of your travels now? Or do you just sort of take it by gut and rest when you need to rest? On my trips, I usually try to make them about six weeks long because uh, I know I'll get burnt out after about six weeks. Day to day, I try to leave the door with about two or three activities in mind. Uh, and then let the rest of the day fill in. And that might be sitting in a park with a book, taking a nap in a park, sitting at a cafe, just going for a walk. I, I think when you overplan travel, you you miss the serendipity that makes travel amazing, right? You know, I was in Paris before COVID, and I'm at this restaurant, and I sat next to a chef, and I was like, hey, oh, well, I'm going to an art exhibit. Do you want to come? She's like, yeah, sure, why not? And then we went to her friend's bar and restaurant and, you know, she lived in Paris. Um, and if I was like, I have to go, you know, do this and then that, that whole day would have been totally different. Um, and so I tried to let travel fill itself in because you get more burnt out when you're like running between places. And so I just try to like take it easy. Yeah, I think this is an important thing to remember that in a way you become a better, and that's a loaded word, air quotes, better traveler by giving yourself permission to rest and to not do things. Because 
you know, sitting in a town or yeah, having a, a coffee in front of a, you know, a restaurant out on the street, that counts as travel too. I think sometimes when we think about travel before the journey begins, we're, we think about packing in activities and sort of novel exotic things when in fact, like eating a meal or taking a nap, you know, in, in a park or just sitting and watching the day go by that in, in a place away from home, that can be as interesting as any museum or festival or anything that you plan in your travels. I always tell people less is more because I get that when you have a short amount of time, you want to pack as much in. Mm. But then all you're really doing is just seeing things, not experiencing a place. Mm. I wrote this recently on Instagram and a couple of people were like, oh, I, I totally disagree. You know, I love going to uh, 15 cities in 10 days. And it's like, all right, well, you... Goodness. Good grief. I know. And it's like, well, you I guess you've been there and you've seen museums, but you don't get to experience the people and the place. Travel's not a checklist. And it, mm. the more you try to pack in, the quicker you'll get burnt out. And so I think one of the best ways to reduce burnout is to realize that less is more. You bring up a really relevant uh notion, which is the idea that we feel like we have a short amount of time. And that's a real thing that sometimes you you fall into this strange balance of wanting to do a lot, but also wanting to slow down and enjoy specific things. So I'm curious, the, fr our, the frame of reference for you and, and, and me both is long-term travel. But um, do you think burnout is something that can happen for like a one or two week trip? And if so, how do you, how do you strategize against that on a shorter trip? I think burnout is often more likely to happen on a shorter trip because people feel the need to pack in more because they have less time. If you have three months in Europe, right? You're like, well, I want to see a lot of things, but you subconsciously know you have a bunch of time. Three months seems like a long time, right? So why rush? But if you're like, I only have seven days, you know, I'm going through all of Italy. You're like, I can to get it all in. And, and so I always just, Trust the people, you know, you got to understand that you're never going to see it all. And so stop trying to see it all. Less is always more because what makes you want to go to Italy? You want to learn about Italy. You want to be Italians. You want to enjoy that culture. Rushing between museums and archaeological sites is not learning about the current culture. It's about learning the past, which is very important because you you can't understand where people are if you don't know where they've come from. But if you're just racing between museums, you're never going to be able to stop and like chat with someone. You're never really going to stop and smell the roses. Um, and so I, I always stress to people that even if you have a short amount of time, just try to do one or two things per day and let the rest of the day fill in. You're never going to see it all. Don't try. Just just chill. Yeah, it occurs to me that one of my favorite things in Norway last year, when I went there and visited some relatives of my wife, was sitting in a hammock on a on a, a lake whose name I don't remember, just sort of enjoying the day. And in a certain part of my imagination, it, it could have been many parts of the world. You know, it, it could have been Minnesota or Patagonia or something, but it was Norway. And just sitting in a hammock, this is weird, I haven't articulated this until just now, sitting in a hammock was actually a really great way to experience Norway because I could sort of see how other Norwegian people were experiencing the lake. I, I saw the smallest details of a forest that I'd been in for a while. 
Um, but it was just fun to really, really slow down and, and just sort of let that happen. Um, and so it, this feels like it's it's an important thing to remember. It's easy to forget, but important to remember. And actually, another place where I quote you in my new book, The Vagabond's Way, talks about tourist traps. And it says, this is from your book, 10 Years a Nomad, if you fall into the tourist traps, you can appear to the local population as kind of locusts. You've only consumed, you've only taken from them. When you stay a while, you balance those scales. So it feels like this ties into what we've been talking about, that it's not just about rest, but it's about slowing down is about developing a new relationship with a place. So talk about that a little bit. Talk about how it's not just about resting up, but it's about seeing the place at a slower pace. Every traveler wants to like experience a place like the locals, right? You know, that's the big cliche, right? Mm -hmm. Um Oh, I want to do what the locals do. Okay, well, the locals get up and they take their kids to school and then pick up their dry cleaning. Um, if you're only visiting touristy places, you will only see tourists and touristy things. You know, I, I when I'm living in New York, I don't go to Times Square. You know, mm. the New Yorker view on Times Square is like, oh, that's a touristy place, right? That's where the tourists go. So I think that... As a traveler, you know, slowing down and getting out of the tourist centers really allows you to experience a place a little bit more like a local. And I think locals appreciate the fact that you just kind of got away from the touristy places. You know, we hung out at that wine bar in Paris uh, last year, right? Yeah. You, know, you, you and me and Kiki. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the guy there was super welcoming and friendly and nice. And, you know, that... That was a great experience, right? But it, but that only happened because we were in we were not in your typical touristy place, and that experience every place is as touristy as you want to make it, right? You know, because tourists tend to stick to just certain areas, and if once you break out of that area, you're getting a totally different view of a place. Yeah, I think sometimes you almost you're situationally become a consumer and I, actually you imply that in, in the quote i just said you've only consumed and sometimes if you go to a place with consumer expectations then that narrows your lens of how things work and i think in a place like paris specifically they don't have a consumer culture like we do and in fact their cafe and restaurant and wine shop culture is actually a lot nicer if you allow yourself to slow down. So when when you and, and me and my wife had uh, wine last summer, it was in the ninth arrondissement. It wasn't around big tourist attractions. And so we were able to have a late night conversation with the guy behind the bar. And uh, it, it, it was just a more Parisian experience that didn't really lend itself to a, an Instagram photo in the way that it might have had we done it near the Eiffel Tower or the Notre Dame but we were of the city in a way that we might not have been normally. And so I like the idea that, you know, trying to experience the city as a local, you know, locals might go and read the newspaper or read their phone in, in this cafe, and you could do the same. You can sort of be shoulder to shoulder with the normal rhythms of the day, which is really special in a way. Um, earlier, you talked about the idea of, uh, you know, just go home. When you had your uh, Australian experience, uh, your, your travel friend said, well, you can just go home which I think is more historically possible now. We don't need to have a, a fine line between our travel life and our home life. And in fact, since the time I wrote my first book, Vagabonding, the idea of digital nomadism has become 
normalized, you know, that people will take their lives on the road and they mix travel with work in a certain way. And, you know, the title of your book is 10 Years a Nomad. So I imagine you can speak to the idea of people who are living that nomadic life and have erased that line between travel and home slash work. How does burnout affect that kind of lifestyle? Uh, is it possible to burn out when you're sitting still in a place and working in a place? Oh, very much so. And I think burnout can happen a lot quicker because mm. <clears throat> on the one hand, you're trying to see a new place. So you want to get out there. You got to want to explore. On the other hand, you have responsibilities and you have work and you have meetings. And so you're trying to juggle these two things that are both very time intensive. And so if you are a bad juggler, you're going to get very stressed very quickly. And so I think a lot of mistakes people make, one of the biggest mistakes people make, I should say, um, is that they think they can do both at the same time and it's effortless because social media mm -hmm. makes it seem effortless. Oh, I'm in this, you know, beautiful cafe and uh, Argentina, just working away, drinking my coffee, having some wine. But like, what you don't see is that person just went to three cafes to try to find good Wi-Fi, and they're drinking mm -hmm. wine because they're super stressed. They have tons of stuff to do. You know, I, as we said in the beginning uh, of this chat, social media presents a very filtered view of things, and so I think that people get stressed a lot easier when they think that you can be a digital nomad very easily. Because a lot of times people don't stay in one place for a really long period of time. They're moving pretty quickly. So not only are they moving quickly, you have the added stress of work on top of that. And so for me, I, I think it's very important that you're, you're even much more conscious of the work-life balance when you travel and you slow down even more. You know, if you think you can do a destination in three days, you, you're going to need six because you can't split your days. Right. If you are like, I'm going to work in the morning and then go to sightsee. Maybe that works if you're like, get one thing you want to do. But if you have like a busy day and you're like, oh, I have to get out there. I have to go see some stuff. When you get out there, all you're going to be thinking about is work. Mm. And then you're going to feel guilty. So you're going to come home, you're going to work. And then you're going to feel guilty that you didn't spend more time sightseeing because you're in Buenos Aires and you know so much to see and do. And so I always tell people double the amount of time and have one work day and one travel day. So your mind isn't in two places at once. And you can really enjoy what you're doing without feeling like you have to like go back home to get some work done or... Uh, be on a podcast or uh, get on a Zoom call or whatever. You know, you can just devote yourself fully to the experience. Yeah, I guess one charm of digital nomadism or one weird thing about digital nomadism is that mix, is that I think the Instagram vision of a place is, oh, I'm on vacation. I'm not really working, I'm on vacation. But in a way, it's sort of, is a, this funnel of home. It funnels all of these home activities into your travels. And in a way, you're as beholden to your home routines in a way that travelers of two generations ago never were beholden to because they didn't really have a connection with home and they weren't beholden to certain tasks at home. You know, one thing that has come up in this conversation more than once is social media. And actually, 
like it feels like 80% of my podcast conversations touch on social media somehow because it affects our lives on the road and at home. Uh, and so I'm curious to know how your relationship with social media has changed since it's become so prevalent in the years since you took your first vagabonding journey. And I know um, I see you on Twitter a lot, or at least the algorithm shows me your Twitter feed a lot. How have you managed to create balance in your social media life and not overdo an idealized vision of what you do? I mean, is it possible for you to show the the ragged edges of travel or is social media just this thing that you sort of see as, well, this is where I perform a certain idealized version, but my best notes go into my journal. How does, how does that social media affect your travels, you know, a decade and a half into, well, actually more than a, almost two decades into your journeys? Yeah, I, I pre-schedule a lot of stuff on social media. So that helps. Like I chunk my work. So like mm. one day I will just go through social media and like schedule it. I, I try to not be online super often. And, and, you know, I'll be out and I'll record everything. But then until I have a work day, I don't really post it. So my content is very delayed. Because uh, I, I batch it because it's very easy just to spend a lot of time on social media uh, and behind the screen and be like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. Uh, and when I'm with other bloggers, writers, creators, we we're like, okay, let's have like an hour where we go to a cafe and we just you know post content. But when I'm by myself or with friends, they don't they're there to experience a place. I'm there to experience a place. If I meet mm. new people, they're not. You don't want to sit and watch me be on my phone the whole time. So I, I tend to either be on social media like for work or I'm not on social media at all. Actually, one question that comes into my mind is tied into the texture of our conversation. And this will, probably won't make the edit, but um, movers came in early in our conversation and you're moving from one U.S. location to another. So I'm curious to know, after all your years as a nomad, now you've been much more than 10 years a nomad, what is home and what is your relationship to home and how does it contrast to, to your travel life, if at all? Home is where I sit around and do nothing. Uh, but work um, and read books and watch Netflix. You know, it's ironic that as, and you might feel the same way too as a professional traveler. Hmm. A vacation for me is sitting and watching TV, right? Like every, like your average person, like they go to Italy on vacation. I sit home and do nothing because my real life is so often on the road and so it involves so much moving around that I just want to do the exact opposite of that. Um, so home to me is just, you know, where I get to chill and relax and not have to worry about anything and cook dinner. You know, it's everyone's normal life, I guess. Um, but it involves being very still. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including information about Nomadic Matt's new long-term travel journal, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Cedar Van Tassel, who also does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. <laughs>